Hey guys, welcome to AIPT Comics Podcast, where you can get your latest news, opinions on the latest comics, as well as some fun segments. My name is David Brooke. I'm your co-host with two other co-hosts by the name of Forrest Hollingsworth. Hello, that's Forrest with two R's, and I die at the end. <laughs> and Connor Christensen. Hi, my name's Connor. Uh, I build... I build ramps, and I like to party. Nice. Okay, so at the top of every show is, is the news, uh, where we talk about the stuff that everyone's talking about on social media, or the thing that's making waves in the comic books community. The number one thing is actually involving a something unrelated to comics, which is a hamburger chain called Wendy's. And we've all heard of the Wendy's Twitter handle kind of going crazy, uh, making waves every few weeks, every few months. The nuggets. The chicken nuggets. What's that? A kid, a kid got lifetime chicken nuggets for free because he got like fifty thousand retweets or something like that. Oh uh, wow! He was on Ellen. Oh man, the Ellen bump. Once you get there, oh, you just that's what we, that's <laughs> just what we sailing. need. We need that Ellen yeah. bump. <laughs> we need the Ellen bump. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, f- they make jokes. They 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 have a crackerjack wit, and they 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 put people in their place quite a lot. And recently, just a few days ago, someone questioned their ability uh, or their knowledge of comics, and they quickly replied this was actually february 7th they quickly replied basically proving it by name dropping saga i think yeah they basically said do you prefer marvel or dc and they said marvel and then someone said but do you really like marvel like fucking gatekeeping the wendy's account yeah but they were like the wendy's account replied saga's on hiatus we can do this all day Mm -hmm. and then for hours upon hours people were questioning them and trying to test their knowledge yeah and they got they got involved pretty heavily. I mean, like, mo- I saw like most comic book publishers got some sort of reply out of Wendy's, and then like the publishers had fun afterwards. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the the DC editorial meeting picture that came out, and it yep. was uh, Jim Lee and Dan Didio eating McDonald's and Burger King, which was pretty funny. And then Marvel did another picture where they were having an editorial meeting inside of Wendy's, which just made me hungry. and then there was also marvel's uh, actual official account tweeted a picture of uh, spider-man eating a burger and then dc replied with a broken heart obviously it's all in good fun and in a a sense it's actually really good for the industry and i i would think because i'm sure a lot of people follow wendy's and don't read comic books but all of a sudden now they're being flooded with all this information about spawn and walking dead and saga and yada yada and they're like huh maybe i should go pick up a book or maybe not i don't know yeah it's new exposure i think it's i think it's good and and I, I only have one question. That's for that that DC editorial meeting. Uh, did they jokerize the fries? What? How do you jokerize a fry? Uh, it's a special seasoning that you put on that turns them a little green. It was in Batman twenty. No, Batman eighteen. It was like a joke. They went into the uh, there's like uh, this Joker restaurant and they asked uh-huh. Jason Todd, "Do you want to jokerize those fries?" And he's like, "What the fuck? No." I mean, they do have the Nightmare Whopper, that one that's all green that gives you nightmare nightmares <laughs> or whatever. So <laughs> just poop. toss it in there. <laughs> yeah, they should have done that. Yeah. Uh, right. That was from a comic from, by uh, written by Tom King, right? Sure was. Do you guys have any other opinions on this? Is it is it good? Is it bad? Is it is it great? I don't know. I think it's all in good fun. I like it well enough. It, it's Wendy's has carved out a really good niche in knowing all these things for themselves. Mm-hmm. I was getting a little heated before we started recording about the flip side of this, which is like Sunny D tweeting out, I can't do this anymore. And everyone responding like, if you feel like Sunny D did last night, um, 
called the Suicide Prevention Helpline, Moon Pie and Little Debbie and a bunch of other brands did that. It's totally cool to talk about comics or actually Wendy's did this a little bit ago with like their favorite bands that ever played Warp Tour like 2000 or something like that. That's totally cool. I love the niche comedy and humor and stuff. At the end of the day, it's a burger chain. It's probably a team of people quickly Googling or Wikipedia and stuff. We don't need to gatekeep the Wendy's girl because of that. Right. <laughs> but we also don't need to use brands to quasi joke or provoke conversations about mental health and suicide and stuff. It rubs me the wrong way. I don't know how to know how to follow up to that. Uh... But Wendy's <laughs> is funny. <laughs> yeah, Wendy's is cool. But, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Wendy, Wendy's good, Sunny D bad. It is funny though, like like all comedy though, it, it does. Um... It does walk a fine edge, right? This Wendy's person is replying to random people and like getting getting people excited over it. Yeah, like Gail Simone was like having a yes. field oh, man. day. She was so she excited was. on her Twitter. She was, yeah. and then she was adding like Whataburger and saying "Weigh in now." Yeah, yeah. She was she was pulling people like she was like Little Debbie. What do you think? Yeah, I think yeah. No, some, that stuff's fun. Somebody picked like they were like our favorite comics are the Valiant Universe. Like, I was like, oh, <laughs> look at that. Out of right field. She she really uses that Twitter really well. She's polling people all the time, too, and getting interactions. She's great at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, uh, she just, she, she pokes the, uh, the CG crowd a lot. And you know who's not great at uh, social media? Mike Miller, who came up in the news actually right before we recorded last week because he uh, was tweeting out about, I guess he got caught in a sense. He was replying to someone talking about, inking over Mike Waringo's uh, original art and then kind of making his it, it his own and also claiming that it was Waringo's uh, final cover, uh, even though he's been long dead and, you know, stepping all over his grave, basically. And then on Twitter later, because there was this uproar, uh, almost every single uh, comic creator came out and said, this guy is awful. And they actually, a lot of them... Um, like Mike Norton was give, were giving anecdotal stories about how he would act at cons and stuff. Well, then in response, Mike Miller made this ridiculous video where he burned the page, although it's clearly not the page. He probably just copy, photocopied it. And it, there's some weird, creepy music playing. And he's like, basically, like laughing in everyone's face, like, oh, yeah, you want to see bad? And then he just went even further. <laughs> it was... It was actually kind of kind of crazy to watch because it the the drama and um negativity just rose and rose over the over the couple days after it happened people hearing about it and reacting. Did you guys did you guys get any uh, response from this that did, did it upset you at all? Yeah. <laughs> I mean like the guy <laughs> Yeah, man. <laughs> the guy's a dickhead. Like I I I saw it on uh, it was all over the comic book Reddit, it was all over Twitter. Um and I think sometimes people get up in arms too easily. I don't think this was one of those cases. It was just like, no, yeah, this guy is like using the the death of a of a of a pretty well respected and well liked artist to promote his own shitty no name fucking alt right comic book. Like, fuck him. Mm-hmm. You kidding yeah. me? Yeah. Like, and and claiming it as like it's an original cover. It's like get the fuck out of here, dude. No, he was a piece of shit. Um, and then like how he tried to play all coy once he did get confronted by uh, the family who said like, hey, you cannot use this. This is not OK. You have to stop. He was like, oh, yeah, no, I would have never done this. It's like, fuck you. What are you talking about? Yes, you are. Yeah. So I'm, I'm up. Yeah. Makes me mad. I, I mean, that artist, Waringo, was cherished in the industry. Yeah. And when he when he passed away, there everyone was upset. Yeah. 
I mean, there's Ringo Awards and stuff at, at individual cons as well as in, in the industry and scholarships and stuff. And you're going to take a, a draft Spectacular Spider-Man cover that actually became an actual cover, not even a lost breakdown or anything like that. He took a breakdown of a cover that became an actual cover and inked his own characters over the top of it. It's messed up. What are you doing? Yeah. Do you think his it, career is yeah. over? I mean, the the did he the cor- have much a career? In the I, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what career? He's working in yeah. a in a corner of the of the industry where it prob- the audience doesn't care. I'm sure. Oh yeah, he's not going to lose any any readers. Like the people who read his stuff are going to keep reading it, and the people who didn't aren't. Like what he did is gaslighting, right? Is that the definition of gaslighting? Yeah. Yeah. To, to a degree, yeah. And that's what's become of social media these days. This is just how you act, and that's normal, I guess. Yeah. What's interesting to me is I, I, I saw a couple artists um, tweet about how they're worried about selling original art now because some douche could come out and go, oh, I'm going to ink my character over, over this original piece. And mm. what's interesting to me is, like, when, once you sell a piece of art, I mean, honestly, the person who bought it can do whatever they want with it. It's now theirs. It's But they can't reuse it in any way. Um, the character is still owned by whoever, Marvel, DC, whatever, Valiant. Um, so they can't, like, sell it uh, with, the, with the, like, a new piece of drawing over it. So that is kind of a moot point. But I could see artists being a little hesitant to sell their art when someone could potentially use it for like political reasons even yeah that's an interesting angle i hadn't thought about that at all i don't want to necessarily give mike s miller the credit of that yeah i guess but at the same time it's an interesting conversation to have born out of this kind of controversy right you brought up the the anecdotal stories that came out about this guy because like i had never heard of him until this controversy yeah um and then the the stories that came out about him at like yeah. how he acts at cons and like he was always trying to like cheat people out of money he's just such a he sounds like a fucking crybaby piece of shit selfish without empathy kind of thing yeah a whiny yep. little asshole and he, and you just have to go look at his replies to anyone that tried to call him out to see that well another guy in the news who's really good with social media but not quite as much of a dick <laughs> i think debatable <laughs> yeah 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 we've had we have a couple people on staff who've had a couple weird interactions with him his name's rob Liefeld. i don't know if you've heard of him and if you haven't he'll let you know don't worry and you probably didn't listen to previous shows because we have talked about him before um he has announced that he'll be doing his final deadpool story which is probably making a lot of people excited because it is going to be the last one thank fucking god he hasn't done very good deadpool <laughs> stories l- lately he probably hasn't done a good one since the 90s if we're all honest this is going to be called Deadpool Batter Blood. Uh, and, what a title. Uh, it's quite <laughs> Say what clever. you will about the man, but he knows titles. Too bad, too blood. Do we know when it's coming out? I don't think we do. He said... Uh, After Major X. Yeah, yeah. Which right. is going to be a smash hit, as we all know. <laughs> I think this goes back to Major X in that Marvel is tapping him to scratch that uh, nostalgic itch that, of, for kids that grew up in the 90s and loved his art and want to read it again yep. now that they have all this disposable income in their early to mid-30s. I don't think anyone is asking for this. I'm sure people will be buying it. I don't know if it'll be breaking any records. I don't know, because... Deadpool Bad Blood, the last the last original graphic novel that Liefeld did around Deadpool, 
yeah. didn't sell well and did not get well received. Mm. It's a very simple reason why. So he's not a very good writer. Say what you will mm. about his art. Mm-hmm. I have opinions about his art, but I mean, at least like at the very least in the 90s when Rob Liefeld got on the scene, he was like one of the best artists. He may not have aged so well now, but it just comes down to it's like he's just not a very good writer. So he, when he's writing these original stories, they, they I'm never surprised when people are like, yeah, it's not very good and it's not that funny. It's like, yeah, no shit. He's, it's still this thing where he, he acts like... I've always likened Liefeld to more of a cover artist than even a good storyteller when it comes to art. A lot of his interiors are, I don't know, stiff. It's hard to get through the story. They don't flow very well for me. They're, they're too chaotic. Yeah, and he can't draw certain things, so he kind of covers that up. I don't know. The, uh, the take for me is that uh, we all kind of brushed off Major X the last time we talked, but rightfully so, maybe. Um, I, I saw another cover, and he's definitely still smuggling that dinner plate in his uh, groinal region, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, and and Wolverine is smuggling a face. Yes. Um, which Dave pointed out. Um, <laughs> may, maybe it's about stealing porcelain. <laughs> if that's the angle, I might check it out. That's funny. It seems like Marvel is going to keep tapping him to do stuff. You know, he did, he's been doing variant covers for a lot of X books. He's doing Major X. He's doing this. It, maybe they were like, hey, we're going to keep tapping you for, to do stuff, but please stop talking about Deadpool. Like, just let it go. As long as he stays away from, from Deadpool, I'm, I'm happy. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, just, I just, I don't, I just can't stand the guy. And I don't find his sense of humor funny at all. And I don't think he's endearing. I just think he's like super, super cocky. Uh, he's, I mean, he's just he he is like the epitome of most '90s comic book stars, if you want to call them that. Who, for whatever reason, everything went to their head, and they still think they're the shit. So to recap the news, Wendy's is funny. Rob Liefeld not funny. Mike Miller really, really not funny. Mike Miller drinks Sunny D. Oh, shoot. Wow. Shots fired. Moving on, guys. We want to talk about our top books from last week, our favorite books from last week. We're going to pick two each. And to start each this segment, we bring up the Comic Book Roundup scores, the top two books from last week, according to comicbookroundup.com, which is a comic book aggregate, review aggregate, uh, like Rotten Tomatoes. So the second highest rated book at 92 is Die Number 3 by Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans. Uh, this is a book that AIPT has reviewed every issue of and loved. Uh, I personally haven't read it. I know it's a fantasy series with also a fantasy RPG uh, board game. Is that right, Forrest? The tabletop role-playing game will be released at the same time that the first trade is released. Excellent. So probably in three issues, three months? Yeah, so the characters are playing a tabletop role-playing game that they've actually been drawn into, kind of like um, Jumanji. They're, like, trapped in this world. Um, but the rules that it is that they're playing or that it's based on the world that they're trapped in, Kieran Gillen has written a whole rule set, and they've played it, and they've play-tested it and stuff, and they're going to release it at the same time as the trade. It's a different muscle to flex. I'm going to just jump yeah. right in and say... What a flex. <laughs> I'm going to jump right in and say my second pick is Justice League number 17. Is Justice League on my goddamn list every week? It's sick. It's been close. It's, it's been close, yeah. This one's written exclusively by Scott Snyder uh, with art by Jim Cheong. Exclusively. Uh, the last couple issues have been split uh, where James Tinney IV was 
credited with story and script, where Snyder was just story. Uh, I reviewed this comic for AIPTcomics.com. I recommend you read my review. I get into it pretty deep. I uh, don't spoil it, though. Uh, this is a story about Lex Luthor and Martian Manhunter going on an adventure together. There are very, very interesting flashbacks that flesh out both characters and give us new canon to chew on. It's it's a bold it's a bold direction I did not see coming and to say there's a twist is spoiling it but there is a twist of sorts that will make you go what oh my god that was my exact reaction wow that's been watching me I guess or actually I might have had Scooby Doo I don't know anyway I recommend it it's it's my number two pick and. It's it's an exciting kind of done in one story too. You can pick it up, and if you if you know both characters but don't know what's going on in the bigger story, uh, it's an easy it's an easy one to just jump right into. For the second pick, I want to pick Forrest. What's your second pick? My second pick is Nate Gray's fantastic Incel Adventure. <laughs> um, wow! No, it's Marvelous X Men number one, written by Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson with art by Marco Faya. This is kind of the direct follow-up to the Age of X-Men Alpha issue that came out. Was that a week ago or two weeks ago? Which is also a direct follow-up to the Uncanny X-Men Disassembled storyline. You don't necessarily need to have read Uncanny X-Men Disassembled to get into this. I do think you need to have read the Alpha issue to really get into this. It's got a really cool, perfect utopia with a seedy underbelly thing going on. Um, Very 1984, Brave New World type aesthetic that I like a lot. They're really exploring the flip side of Age of Apocalypse where everything is perfect rather than a fiery, barren hellscape world. Um, And I like it quite a bit. Um, I think that the angle where no one can have relationships and no one can be in love and no one can be affectionate and everyone needs to just dump all of their energy and time into personal introspection and stuff tells us a lot about Nate Gray at slash X-Man as a character. And um, I think eventually it's going to tell us a whole lot about how he kind of became the monster that he has um, in a very interesting way. And I think Lonnie and um, Zach have done a really good job of narrating that and hinting at it in a way that is parallel to what Age of Apocalypse was without completely tipping the scales into saying we're just doing Age of Apocalypse again. This issue was also a really good X-23 story, and she's my favorite X-Man character, so that's kind of where I stand. I liked it a lot. Sweet. I actually reviewed this for the website and mimic what you say and when I say, uh, and I said in the review that it's kind of like The Giver. If you've read, if mm. read or see, yeah. don't see the movie, but read the book. <laughs> God, don't see the yeah, movie. Yeah, true. Because true and there's this thing about falling in love in that book that's similar. Uh, I don't know. I won't spoil it. My number two pick is Old Man Quill, number one, uh, written by Ethan Sachs and drawn by Robert Gill. Uh, the the old man trend, we've, talk, we've talked about it on the show. It's, it's real. Um, but I think it has merit because this was another issue that was pretty awesome. Kind of just like throws you right in the middle of it. It doesn't – not too much exposition. It kind of just – Spends maybe like two pages, two or three pages showing like, here's what happened. And uh, there you go. Now he's old. And I thought it was really enjoyable. Uh, some surprise appearances from other Marvel Universe characters, like Marvel um, Cosmic characters, which is pretty, pretty cool. And uh, it, it just does a really good job of setting up what's to come with this series. And, and I really like 
like what uh, Ethan Sachs did with Old Man uh, Old Man Hawkeye. So I think it's gonna be really cool, and I'm I'm excited. They they kind of grounded the story in a way I wasn't really expecting, uh, and I mean that literally, like literally grounded it. So. Uh, it was a good start, and I'm excited to see where this series goes. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit as well. My review is up on AIPTcomics.com. Um, I just want to throw in that they made old man Quill look like Kurt Russell, which I thought was a great Oh, choice. I didn't catch that. I yeah. didn't realize that, but yeah, you're, you're totally right. He does. I just love that Rocket has a cane. I don't know why. It just makes me sad, but <laughs> also like, oh, he's getting older. I'm almost curious if Ethan and Donny Cates talked about that, too, but uh, we'll leave it at that. The number one pick, according to comicbookroundup.com, with a 9.7, dear lord, that's a high number, is a book written by Marv Wolfman and Claudio Catalina. They did a book called Man and Superman Number 1, which is 100 pages. Big, big book. I think it was also $10. It's an old story that is being, it was like the script was dusted off and they, and they, uh, they did it uh, all, all now, now in the now times, in the modern times. <laughs> um, did you guys get a chance to read it? <laughs> I, no, sorry. I'm just caught up in the today times. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I did not. Yeah, I didn't I didn't check it out either. I flipped uh, through it. Can I just quickly just say it's kind of neat. Clark wears a mask and like a black mask and he's trying to be like super at the same time. I don't know. You know what? Don't ask me what it's about. But it, I kept flipping through it. I'm like, wow. There's also a lot of cleavage in the comic, which I thought was interesting. Our reviewer, uh, Nathan Simmons, reviewed it. And he actually liked it quite a lot. You can read that review at aptcomics.com. But you already knew that. Connor, what's your number one pick of the week? So I went with Batman number 64. It's written by Josh Williamson, not by Tom King. And what? drawn by Guillaume March. Uh, so it's actually kind of funny because I am so far behind on Batman comics. I still haven't even gotten through the button crossover yet. But I knew this was a Heroes in Crisis tie-in. Uh, I'm completely caught up on Heroes in Crisis, so I said, "Ah, oh, why not? I'll just I'll I'll dive right in and read this one now." Uh, and it's it's a really solid Heroes in Crisis tie-in. I think a lot of times with events, you get these tie-in issues that, like, either have nothing to do with the actual story and they're they're really just branded as a tie-in, or they just don't have any substance to them. But uh, this one did, and I I think it 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 gives a good look at how both Flash and Batman are handling. Uh, the sanctuary situation really well and especially Batman who is kind of just having like minor PTSD about everything that happened and he's he's slowly losing his mind uh, so it, it was really fantastic in that regard plus it builds up a pretty awesome story around uh, Gotham Girl uh, and for those who don't know Gotham Girl was a character introduced by Tom King in Batman number one uh, she is essentially uh she has superpowers, but every time she uses her superpowers, it slowly kills her. So she's she's playing a, a heavy hand in this story, and we haven't seen her in a while. So I'm really excited to, to see Gotham Girl back again. And she's she's kind of like the the bad guy in this story. So it was a, a good start to this crossover, and uh, kind of like Old Man Quill, I'm just really excited to see where it goes. Forced, I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. What is your number one pick? My number one pick is Daredevil number one, <gasps> written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto. I don't think that we can talk about this Daredevil number one launch without talking about how much it parallels the Netflix show. Um, Chip was obviously influenced by the launch of the Netflix show, or at least season three, if not straight up told by editorial, you know, why don't you take some hints from the show? Um, there's some elements, there's some arcs introduced, um, that 
pretty much exactly mirror what's happening in the show or happened in the show. Um, if Vincent D'Offerino's petition to bring it back doesn't pan out, I hope it does. That guy's awesome. Um, but it also stands on its own really, really well. Uh, there's this running gag or kind of bet in the Marvel office, if you guys don't know, where the Daredevil writer is basically always trying to, when they end a run, leave the next writer with the worst possible situation to get Matt Murdock out of. Um, and Charles Sewell left <laughs> Matt basically dead at the end of his Daredevil run. Um, and Chip Zdarsky had to kind of pick up the pieces and run with that. And instead of using comics, a medium, as a revolving door and just saying, yeah, that all happened, but Matt's fine, this comic really, this first issue really looks at the repercussions of what happened to Matt. And I don't think that he's going to be okay. Physically, emotionally, even in terms of what's happening to Hell's Kitchen, I don't think that everything's going to be okay. It doesn't help that Kingpin is the mayor, right? <laughs> it definitely doesn't. Um, and plenty of people besides Daredevil are dealing with that, too. Um, but it really deals with the repercussions of what happened in a way that I don't see a lot of number ones do frequently. I don't necessarily know that you need to have gone back and read Charles's run to understand this. You can definitely start here. It's a great fresh start. It feels new. It feels invigorating. But it, it really does something for me that I don't see done in a lot of comics. And I think very well. Matt is running around and he's tripping on rooftops and he gets into a fight with low-level thugs, like three bank robbers, basically. And he's fighting them and he's like, oh, I can't believe I'm getting beat up by two thugs. No, wait, three. I can't believe I can't take down these two guys. No, wait, it's three. And he's just kind of getting his ass kicked. And I really like that. I really like this very human angle that Chip has taken with taken with it. Um, it's equal parts funny and earnest and serious, um, a little bit heartbreaking. There's some really great visual elements like shadows cast over Matt's eyes when he's not wearing the mask to kind of indicate that blindness. There's um, a great Catholic angle where um, even, in, even in Matt's apartment, he kind of has these closet doors that look like broken crosses. And maybe it's completely over the top and you might see that stuff and be like, oh, that's really passe or that's really on the nose. But it hits this um, metaphoric angle as well as it does just a page-to-page, panel-to-panel narrative storytelling angle that I liked quite a bit. And I'm really interested in seeing where they go from here because it has a weightiness that a lot of number ones don't seem to have. Well, don't put the comic on your lap then. It's just too heavy. (laughs) lift with legs not back heavy there's that word again is there a problem with the earth's gravitational oh that's a good one i like that that's a deep cut for back to the future fans out there cutter did you read daredevil i didn't but i like that's why when i saw it on force number one pick i was like god yeah like i was excited to hear about it but i'm like ah shit i haven't read it yet i hope i hope it doesn't uh get get spoiled but it did not get spoiled and i'm still very excited to read it yes i was very careful there's a huge cliffhanger um, that I'm not going to spoil, but please read it as soon as possible and DM me when you can. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm super, super stoked. Chip Zdarsky's uh, ability to put Barney into the, every cliffhanger is quite something. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. You love me. You're also blind and I can see. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> I pulled that off. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I actually read it too. I, I, I liked it a lot. Uh, the, you know what? Marco Cicchetto is freaking, he really is an up and coming. I mean, he's been doing art for a while, but he's he's going to be up there in five, ten years. He's going to be doing a big event, I'm sure. DC or Marvel, and it's going to blow everyone away. So uh, I don't know if you guys care or not, but I have a number one pick. I mean, I'm indifferent to oh, it. Hey, get to your number one. Oh, thank you, guys. Yeah, I'm glad you'll want to know what mine is. Um, it's The Dreaming Number 6 from DC Vertigo uh, by Cy Spurrier, Bilkus Evely, and Matt Lopez. This is a series uh, that is in the Sandman universe. It's actually in The Dreaming, the world where Sandman like created and kind of manages people's dreams. That's like a really simplified way of d- describing it. The series has had some highs and some lows. There's some issues where I was like, eh. There's some issues where it was amazing. This issue is just fantastically written. Uh, Spurrier has a great handle on the captions, draws you into this new character called Dora, and breaks everything. The the dreaming, this realm is just crumbling. It's been crumbling since issue number one because Sandman's, I don't know, he doesn't care anymore. He's gone. And this issue ends, I'm going to totally spoil it, it ends with a new like leader of the dreaming. And I'm going to spoil it even further. This entity is basically a computer. It's, And I think it's supposed to be, like, symbolically, it's supposed to be, like, the internet. It's this new culture and how it's infesting our dreams. And now it's going to control them. And it's it even admits to Dora, yeah, I'm probably psychotic and I'm going to kill you all or whatever. Like, it's just nuts. And it's just dropped. It's like a hammer. And you just, you can't, I just can't wait for the next issue. And the series has been good. Uh, at times, not so good. But this is just great. And I wanted to bring up, uh, someone wrote a comment on my review uh, of issue number six, and they said, oh, this is terrible. Anyone who's read the original Sandman should hate this series. And I said to him, you're probably right <laughs> in that it is, it is, this whole series has basically been disassembling what the dreaming and Sandman's about and reassembling it into something new and maybe even new for a newer audience, which I think is really cool and exciting. Even if you love Sandman, you should be able to respect the fact that they're creating something new from something old. So, and that's how serial comics work, right? I think right? that's totally in the spirit yeah. of Gaiman's extended oh, yeah. universe, True. though. Yeah, chaos yeah, and all that. Yeah. You know what really grinds my gears? That he showed up in the Metal series, because what has gone on from that? Like, that hasn't led to anything. Nobody, Yeah, nobody's talked about it. Like, hey, that... Random guy just popped up in Batman's dream. We talked about this Actually, last week. It wasn't even his dream. It was like he just came up and was like, Bruce. He's like, what up? Bruce. I love how he sounds like the Beatles. Yeah. Bruce, it's me, John Bruce. Lennon. We're from Liverpool. I feel like DC editorial was like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna have the new age of heroes spitting out of metal. People are gonna be so excited. And then, oh, let's spin Sandman out of it. And then like oh, as we've gotten gone through the months, pe- the editors were like, nah, we're not doing that. Nah, nah. Let's not connect it. Nah. I wonder if it's because Justice League, and I and I mean not just like the main Justice League title, but both Justice League and Justice League Dark, and to an extent Justice League Odyssey, which is starting to uh, come to its own, but like Justice League has taken off so well, maybe DC has just been like, mm. all right, fuck all this other stuff, we'll just focus on, on how this is all affecting the Justice League, because I feel like all three of those titles have really built off of what happened in Metal and No Justice, like really yeah. well. Yep. Yeah, who cares about releasing Doomsday Clock on time? Ooh, wow. Who needs that? (laughs) The whole point of that event was like, let's bring the Watchmen into the DC Universe. And now it's been like, I feel like we've been building towards this for three years now. This is being drawn out longer than the return of Wolverine. It's bullshit. (laughs) Just fucking get to it. Like, And it sucks because every issue of Doomsday Clock, when you read it, you're like, god damn, this is a really good comic. 
But you have to reread the other seven issues beforehand because you're like, well, it's been three months since the last book has come out, so I don't remember what's going on. If you want to feel like you have Alzheimer's, read Doomsday Clock. <laughs> Wait, what happened? It's a, it's a transmedia experience. <laughs> I feel like I know this person, but I don't know why. Was this character in the story before, or am I just losing my memory? What year is Jesus. this? How do I tie my shoes? Okay, guys, moving on in our next segment. It's called Cast This. We've done it once on this show, and we are seven episodes in, so we're doing it again. So, yeah, you know, get ready. This time, we're going to be casting something that is near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, and it spins off of the fact that uh, Kevin Fage came out and said he's going to be recasting Wolverine, and everyone went, oh, no, no, Hugh Jackman was the best, even though he was 6'3", and everyone disagrees with that. Anyway... So we're going to be casting the original X-Men lineup because we all know that they're all going to be recast eventually. Anyway, it's only happened, what, twice now? Why not a third time? And so we are going to give our picks for who should play these central characters. Jean Grey, Angel, Iceman, Beast, Cyclops, Professor X, and Logan, even though Logan wasn't on the original team. Here's the rule, though. We're going to be picking actors that may even be dead because this is the ultimate casting. Okay, guys? Does anyone want to go first? So um, I want to throw this out there for all the listeners. Uh, they, uh, I have uh, all my picks are serious except for one. And if you can spot the one that's not serious, good for you. But I won't, I won't, I won't give it away. All right. So first, Jean Grey would be played by Zoe Dutch. Uh, Zoe Dutch is phenomenal actress. She was in Flower, and Flower is a very good movie. She was in Everybody Wants Some, and Everybody Wants Some. Oh, Under, okay, underrated yeah, classic. She's young, she's no? Like, she's yeah, like twenty. She's like twenty-four. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think she would be a very good Jean Grey, and she she plays that like very loving and caring, nice person very well. Forrest, go ahead. Isla Fisher. She was in um, Hot Rod. Sasha Baron Cohen's Yeah. Wife. Oh yes. Oh yeah. She is. Oh yeah. She'd be dope. She's yeah. the love interest in Hot Rod. Um, she's. You know, she's kind of at the perfect age. She's got red hair, which is kind of the main uh-huh, reason I picked uh-huh. her. But um, the other backup cast I had was uh, Julianne Moore, if we were going slightly older. Okay, yeah. Um, so nice. actually, you know, if we were going to do like a Days of Future Past or mm. any sort of thing like yeah. that, I would love to see both of them in the role. You know, immediately off the top of my head, I would say Jessica Chastain. I mean, she's already playing... Just going to say that. ...an older version of the character from It, right? So they could even get the little girl who plays the character in It. She could be like young Jean. Or at this point, she's probably like 16, so she could probably be regular Jean. And then she could... Anyway. But my pick was actually Kate Winslet, which is neither here nor there. It's a terrible choice. But uh, (laughs) I think she's a... It's a choice. I think she's a great actress. She's got a lot of range. (laughs) So there. Uh, (laughs) uh, My pick for Angel... We're going to go to Angel next is Leonardo DiCaprio, because he's a spring chicken, and that means he's got wings, and he could fly so high, and he's got those pretty, pretty blue eyes. Okay, you guys go. (laughs) (laughs) He's a spring chicken. We all know that. Let's just all watch Blood Diamond and that terrible South African accent he did, and he should use that that in the movie. That'd be amazing. He's a peacock, Terry. You gotta let him fly. (laughs) Basically. Um, in South know. Africa, we go boom, boom, not Big Bang. What is that line he says? So terrible. Like oh, man. Oh, so I don't know. I would like to not think about that movie, please. Go ahead, Connor. My pick for Angel is Michael B. Jordan. Uh, he's hot in the streets right hey. now. We all love him. But I also think he has that range and that duality needed to play Angel, especially if you're going to uh, eventually have Archangel. Um, I, 
I think he'd be really good at it. I want him to get a superhero role that lasts more than five seconds, too, personally. Yeah, same here. Like, yeah. Either A, a, a starring role in a good superhero movie, or mm-hmm. B, not have him die at the end. Uh, right. Spoilers if you haven't seen Black Panther. Wow, he just connected the dots for you, so the spoils are real. <laughs> yeah, he dies. So uh, that would be a really great bit. <laughs> Who's your yeah, angel, think, Forrest? Yeah. Tom Felton. Who the hell is that? Uh, Draco Malfoy. Draco Malfoy from Draco. the Harry Potter gotcha. movies. Okay. Yeah, I think he plays a really great, sometimes honest, sometimes likable, a little bit scared. Um, he's blonde. He's British, but also sometimes sniveling and hateful, and the perfect kind of flip side of that for Archangel. Oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. The flip part of it. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good pick. Yeah. DiCaprio gets really angry when he's out with models and gets too much drinks in him. And he's a spring chicken. All right, guys, who's your beast pick? Joel Edgerton. Who is this? I don't know anybody. Oh, who's Joel Edgerton? Who's that? Joel Edgerton was the uh, orc in Bright. Bright. So, oh, okay. Geez. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bright. Bright. Not not as bad as everyone said it was. By the way, Bright. No, it's I liked not, it. It's not great, but it's yeah. not that bad. It's pretty enjoyable. And we know well, he can act anyway. with makeup on. Exactly. He can. He he's got the. He can do well in full prosthetics. He's a big hulking dude. Um, I think I, I like actually this is one of the serious picks. I think he would be really good at it. Um, and he can, like, he's a very, very good actor, so he can pull off that, like, very serious, kind of stoic, uh, beast role. I think it'd be, you know. Yeah, no, you're, awesome. that's a good Disney, one. Disney, if you're listening, I got a pretty solid cast here. Uh, <laughs> kind of deep cut for him. I really loved him in, uh, the reboot slash prequel for The Thing. Oh. The 2011 The Thing. I really <laughs> like that. I don't think I saw that one. Yeah. Neither did I. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I recommend that movie to people all the time. I watch both the things every Halloween, and I love them. If I'm not mistaken, Joel Egerton was also in It Comes at Night. Yes. Which is such an underrated movie. I think a lot of people yep. went into it thinking it was going to be a horror movie, and it's like not really a horror movie. It's just very much like a post-apocalyptic suspense. But that was the movie that sold me on Joel Egerton. I was like, okay, this dude is perfect. Also, Legit. Note, they should cast him as uh, Joel in The Last of Us movie. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. Oh, no, that would yeah, be good. Be yeah. And he's already got the name. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. He would, yeah. <laughs> he would be so immersed in the role. He would. He would just be playing himself. Yeah. Forrest, what's your pick for Beast? Jude Law. Jude Law. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Like that. Are you thinking he should be beefed up like muscle, muscles or will they put prosthetics on him? I mean, I'm thinking mostly of Hank McCoy. Okay. Um, okay. As like a kind of quiet, smart, um, teacherly Professor Lee type character. Um, but Jude can also be, you know, he's got some roles where he screams and gets angry and flippant and stuff. And I think he can also do that as Beast. And um, I'd be I'd be into it. I don't know. They can just sub in a blue, a, a dyed blue bear. Or, yeah. If they want totally. when he's Beast. Doesn't matter to me. My pick is John Goodman. Now, when he is not in Beast mode and he's a scientist, he would be playing the character from Roseanne in that he'd be funny, but also, you know, nice. Whereas when he goes into beast mode, he'd be playing the character that is in The Big Lebowski. So erratic and violent. And has a goatee and a gun. (laughs) Man, that's good. And is constantly screaming about Uh, Vietnam. Yes, exactly. And everyone's like, but you're so, you're not not old enough to be in Vietnam. You're out of your element, Bobby. Who's your Iceman? I chose uh, Taylor Hirsch. Uh... Okay. You know, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, not much reasoning behind it. Was he the one that was in Friday Night Lights? 
It's his brother, I believe. Oh, the okay. other one. Gotcha. And I saw his brother come up, and I was like, he might be a good Iceman, but I don't know. He's got too he's got too fuzzy of a face. But I was like, his brother Taylor could do it. And that was about it. I think he needs uh, he needs some redemption after True Detective season two. Um, cause yeah, I'm sorry that, that happened to him. Horrendous, and like specifically, his performance was the low point of that show, uh, among a lot of low points though. So. Uh, I would like to give him a shot at redemption. I think he would play a really, really good Iceman. Uh, I'm going to go next. Iceman, for me, would yeah, be Timothy Chalamet, who's that this younger actor who's coming up. I think he's got a couple Oscar noms already. Um, he's been excellent in everything. I think I want my Iceman to be very dramatic. I know he can be silly, sort of like Spider-Man, but I'm thinking it would be a, a character arc that would be one of the main ones in the movie if they were to do it right. He's one of the more interesting characters. His powers are so unique. Um, I say lean into that acting, make it make it an Oscar-worthy performance. Forrest, what's your pick? So it's important for me here to pick an openly gay actor. I think it's important in terms of representation. Um, I think it's important to pick an actor that has comedic chops as well as somewhat serious acting chops. Um, and I chose Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. Okay. All right. Yeah. He might be a little old given the rest of my casting, but um, he just, you know. We could de age him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just de age him. I pitched Josh him? Brolin, but yeah, smaller but, last yeah, time. So. Same thing. Yeah. We'll just get him if Sam Jackson can play mm. like 30 and he's actually 70, he could do anything these days. I, I think MPH is a fantastic pitch. MPH can do. I mean, the guy could play almost anyone or anything. Uh, yeah. Remember, yeah. Snickets is the amazing. Range in, the range in series of unfortunate yes. events is crazy. He's so good in that. <laughs> Yeah. All right, guys. Next up, Cyclops. I'm going with Army Hammer. I think uh, he's got that, you know, kind of boring. <laughs> he has the ability to play boring. <laughs> Don't you dare call him boring. And uptight. Uh, he can be very serious and like, what's the word I want? He, you know, he could just be that guy in the room that's like, geez, don't joke with that guy. He's gonna like punch you in the face, uh, but not, but in a, like a gentlemanly way, like slap you with a with a with a glove and then make you do do the guns in the backyard. That's my pick. Forced. He'll make you do the guns in the backyard. What the fuck is that? Mean? <laughs> you know, muskets. You know, where you walk, you walk from each away from each other for ten ten paces and then shoot. You mean, like duel? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Forrest, who's your cyclops? Uh, Charlie Hunnam. Who? I don't know any of these people. Who's this person? You don't know Charlie Hunnam. He's the he's the uh, main actor in Sons of Anarchy and the first Pacific Rim. Oh yeah, the blonde guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. He was in the yep. the Robin Hood or not the Robin Hood the the King Arthur movie like two years yep. ago. Mm-hmm. Oh man, you keep pulling the ones that I just want to say. I'm sorry that that happened I know, to him. I don't know why I know all these yeah. actors' bad movies. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, he's got a good range. He can be really boy scouty, but also kind of edgy and serious and depending on which cyclops we want to talk about i think he's a good pick that's a good pick i like it connor i chose ansel elgort from baby driver fame uh i just think uh and wow chris Hassan's not gonna like this i think i think ansel elgort plays a really good boring guy (laughs) (laughs) and Although Cyclops is a very interesting character and he's a great leader, he is like kind of boring sometimes. Uh, so I think Ansel Elgort would be perfect for that. You like your Cyclops uh, without many lines, just kind of in the corner. Yeah, just like especially like the older age Cyclops, where he's just kind of like brooding and angry. Like I kind of I, I like that. So I think I think Ansel Elgort could do that, even though he's a little young. 
to play the uh, the older Cyclops. We're going to go with Professor X next, guys. Who is your Professor X? Forrest. Tilda Swinton. Oh, interesting. She did play a male in Suspiria recently. Oh, I haven't seen that. I'd really love to see that. Um, I know that she played a uh, character, <laughs> actually a bald character, in Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah. Shoot. Um, and so they'd have to do some recasting or just don't look over there-ness for that. Um, you're thinking it would but, she be playing a woman at Professor X. It doesn't matter to me. Um, I just like her. I think she plays a really great um, kind of mysterious person that potentially has secrets but is also earnest and caring um, and um, kind of parental in a way. Um, and I really like that. She also looks great in a suit. See Constantine. Yeah, and she could like do like a David Bowie thing too. I don't know. Yes. See Constantine. <laughs> Um, my pick for Professor X is Daniel Day-Lewis. I think he's going to uh, get back in the acting game because Marvel's going to be like, here is $800 million to play Professor X. We know you can do it because you can do anything. That's my pick. <laughs> Connor. <laughs> here you go, Daniel Day-Lewis. Here's your own island off the coast of Scotland. Please come play Professor X. <laughs> Connor, what's your pick for Professor X? So I wanted to pick somebody who was a good leader, who could be outspoken when needed, um, who really knew how to wrangle a bunch of, of, of uh, pithy teenagers together who could really uh, like control the youth. So my choice for Professor X is Leslie Jones. Um, she's got a lot of range. She, she can really shout. Channels. Yeah, exactly. She can control a room, and I think that's what you need with uh, a Professor X casting. I think she would do a fantastic job. Um, she, she may even be good wheelchair-bound, and that'll take away uh, her height because she's very tall. She's very tall, and she might be a little too tall to play Professor X. So if, when you put her in the wheelchair, nobody will notice how tall she is. Um, she'd be a fantastic choice. Height is a really important factor of, of being a Professor X. Height is very important. I take height very seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As He's... is going to be shown with my Logan pick, I take it very seriously. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, Logan's next, guys. I'm going to go first. This is a young version now of Robert De Niro from, like, the Taxi Driver days. Yeah, I mean, that's the famous casting for him, yeah, right? Yeah, I think he'd be excellent at it. Obviously, he's much yeah. too old. Or Danny DeVito. I think both were thrown DeVito. around pretty frequently. Really? Danny DeVito? Yeah. I think they both were, oh, yeah. All I can think of is his role in Always Sunny. I just can't imagine him being serious and like... <laughs> I kind of like the idea of Frank just <laughs> locking into people thinking he's Wolverine. Yeah, that would be funny. He's Frank Reynolds as Wolverine. He actually might be too short. Isn't he shorter than 5'3"? Because that's what Wolverine is, right? 5'3"? He's, he's pretty he's short. He's like 4'9". He's got to be under 5. Yeah, Wolverine's real short. He would be a good yeah. puck, I think. Yes, he'd be a fantastic puck. Because he looks built, even though he may not have a lot of muscle. I just, like, I keep thinking of Robert De Niro as Wolverine. I can just, like, picture the, the meet the Fokker scene, or meet the parents, where he's, he's you know, but it's, it's the X-Men set, and he's looking at Scott Summers. He's like, well, I have nipples, Scott. Can you milk me? <laughs> <laughs> that would work, too. Who wants to go next? Um... All right, this is another one that might be controversial. I believe Keanu Reeves should play Logan. Now, Whoa. I know what I said about height. He's a little tall. I get he it. He is. He's very tall, actually. I think he's like 6'5". So, but then again, so is Hugh Jackman. Uh, but we're living in a Keanu Reeves renaissance. And picture, if you will, you give Keanu Reeves some sideburns, cut his hair up a little bit, and he would look exactly like Wolverine. Uh, we know he plays a stoic, angry guy who likes to kill people. We know he's very good at playing that role. He uh, he knows martial arts, I think. Uh, at least he, he knows how to pretend to know martial arts. 
Oh, oh no, the John Wick stuff is him. Yeah, well, guys, yeah, remember the yeah, Matrix? See, Come on. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure he knows like actual martial arts. So he does. He would need no training. Uh, he's he's he he's big on getting uh you know on, on he's like a method actor so I wouldn't be surprised if he actually got an exo exoskeleton uh surgically infused to his bones so he could really get into the role I think I think we we are living in our Keanu Reeves Renaissance we should cash in as much as we can and get a Keanu Reeves Logan that'd be cool he is a little old. Connor, I gotta let you know that when you said he would get an exoskeleton melded into his body, I just nodded in like serious. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, he would do that." He, do he totally would. Like, <laughs> I could see him yeah. in like an interview. They're like, "Hey, Keanu, how's it going?" He's like, "Oh, it's good. You know, I'm recovering from surgery. Oh, what happened? Oh, yeah, I got the Wolverine part. You know, <laughs> gotta get the claws." <laughs> he is good at that low key, like brooding attitude kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, such mm -hmm. like in his interviews and stuff, he's such a sweet guy. He seems yeah. so nice. Yep, he's real cool. You'd want to crack a beer with him. Forrest, yeah. what's your pick? Maisie Williams. Who's uh, who's that? Remind me. Arya Stark. Ah, okay. All right. She's also been cast as Ellie in the Last of Us movie. Oh, really? I, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. So you're thinking more like X-23 or are you thinking Logan? I'm thinking X-23, uh -huh. Laura Kinney. Uh -huh. I mean, she can already play a really murderous, effective um, assassin-type character, obviously, Arya. Um, but that also has some emotional weight to it and depth. Um, Laura Kinney is my favorite X-Men character. I think I said that twice in this episode. So it, that means it's true. Um, but when they tweeted out that uh, Marvel tweeted out or someone tweeted out that they were going to recast Wolverine um, and that Hugh Jackman was going to be handing it off to a younger actor, Tom Taylor retweeted it, the writer of all new Wolverine. And he said, sounds great. I'm sure she's going to be awesome. Yeah, I think the world's ready for it after the last movie, Logan. Yep. Um, and honestly, they, they could get her. I would be more than happy with that. Let that girl do it. She was fantastic. She was awesome. Yep. But if they're going for a um, a slightly aged up thing, which is kind of what I've been pitching here, I think Maisie would do a great job. Yeah, solid pick. Okay, guys, in our next segment, we're going to be talking about our top book for next week, the book we're looking forward to the most of all publishers, even though over here on this pod we pick a lot of Marvel and DC. <laughs> Um, but we're trying, we're trying, we're reading as much as we can. Connor, but Connor, I, uh, did you pick a Marvel or DC for your most anticipated book of next week? I sure didn't. <gasps> I, uh, I picked a Millar World Netflix image book, uh, The Magic Order number six. It's written by Mark Millar and drawn by Oliver Coipel. This series is, has been awesome. Uh, I'm actually pretty bummed that it's ending... Uh, at number six here, although Mark Millar did say he's working on uh, uh, season two of this series, so that's pretty awesome. We're going to get more of it. But uh, it's essentially, I wouldn't say, like, a lot of people have built it as, like, oh, it's Harry Potter for adults. But it's not because it has nothing to do with, like, a wizarding school or anything like that. But it is a, it, it is like, a, it's it's essentially Peaky Blinders but with wizards. So it's, it's very violent, um, very brutal, and it's all about, like, one family – you know, navigating their way through this this conflict, but it's it's been really really awesome, and it's it's Mark Millar does a really good job establishing uh, his characters really quickly, and even though this is only six issues, like you really you you really feel for the characters involved uh, pretty quickly, and and there's this big climax that's that's about to happen, issue number six, uh, in a big family conflict that I'm excited to watch play out and there's a lot of like uh parallels to, to shakespearean works throughout this series so uh it's been fantastic most of these uh millar world books have been great 
um, that have come out of this Netflix partnership. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good finale, and I'm excited to read it. I've been waiting for it to wrap up so I can read it all in one sitting. Oh, it'll be a great, like, sit-down, like, trade read, I think. I'm going to go with my pick next, guys. It's Flash number 64. It's the second part in the Price storyline that is that tie-in to Heroes in Crisis that uh, Connor picked for his top book, which was Batman 64. This one's written by Joshua Williamson and drawn by Rafa Sandoval, who I discovered while reading Green Lanterns. He is a great artist. Uh, clearly not. Um, he's still up and coming, but the the quality is so freaking good. It's mind blowing that he's not like drawing an event yet or anything. Um, this book, I don't want to spoil it. I've already read it. <laughs> I want to say one thing though, and that is Batman is supposed to be the greatest detective. But what about Flash? He's also a great detective and also can move really, really fast. So really, who is the better detective? That's all I'm going to say. It's a good issue. Uh, Forrest, what's your top pick for next week? My pick is Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider number 5, written by Shauna McGuire with art by Takeshi Miyazawa. Um, I was actually a little bit surprised and maybe slightly disappointed to see that they've switched up the artist on this series. Call back to um, Connor's soapbox about that a couple weeks ago. But Shannon's uh, stewardship of... Gwen, especially in the aftermath of Spider-Geddon, has been so great. And I think that there's a really great emotional weight to everything that Gwen is doing um, right now. And I like that the preview for this says, you know, Gwen is trying to get away from Spider-Geddon and focus more on her normal life. But she can't do that because Mary Jane is being really annoying with all of her micromanaging of their band. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to love this issue no matter what. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I love the fun zaniness of the Spider-Verse. I love Gwen's character especially because of that. I love what, everything that they've done with Spider-Gwen. And I love um, that Shannon has really done a great job of walking both sides of that. Nice. I haven't dipped into the series yet, but I want to. All right, guys. All right, we talked about stories. We talked about casting we've talked about news like wendy's because you know wendy's is a comics related thing all the time this time this time in the show we are going to be talking about the cover of next week the cover that spoke to us made us sing in the shower and go man that art is good that may be an individual occurrence. Uh, maybe and this is where we uh, highlight a comic cover that we really like that's coming out in a couple days so the, the future and my pick is from avengers no road home number one it's a variant by mark brooks the great mark brooks and this cover, which you can go to aptcomics.com, go to this post for this podcast, and you can see it, as well as Connor and Forrest. This cover has Scarlet Witch in her old school red uh, sort of witchy uh, costume. Uh, I pointed out to Forrest a few days ago, I was worried that it's a bit um, exploitive because she's got some bazongas that are really in your face. But <laughs> she's also got a remote control, and she's controlling a little robot vision who's the cutest. Uh, on the ground and it's sort of like you know it's they're they're in a relationship everyone knows that or at least it depends on when you're reading marvel comics i suppose so it's kind of cool that she's like controlling her boo around like a little uh, remote control car the color on this is amazing it's just ugh, the the costumes look like realistic they have a really nice sheen on them and uh it really just caught me um forrest what's your pick for best cover of next week my pick is it, william gibson's alien 3 
Um, the cover that's coming out next week, I believe, is number four. And this is the main cover by Johnny Christmas. Um, I don't know that this is intentional or not, but it reminds me very much of, I think it's the fourth Separation Anxiety cover, the Venom miniseries, where Venom is kind of tearing away from Eddie Brock's face. And you see uh, Eddie Brock, like, screaming underneath the Venom symbiote. They did kind of the flip of that with this cover where there's a human skin wrapped around the top of a xenomorph and it's tearing away in tear. Um, there's like tatters of skin across the cover um, and beneath it is a xenomorph face kind of biting through this human facade. And it's only just in the very center of the cover. The rest of the cover is just negative space. Um, and... I, I really love it. I think it's really effective icon- iconography of the xenomorph imagery, which is really the effective mainstay or the thing that always draws me into alien books um, is seeing how artists render it. I think Johnny has done a great job of that. I think that there's a great horror to this cover. Um, and not much storytelling is needed at all to make that imagery very specific, acute, and scary. And I like it quite a bit. Bonus, you can tape this cover to your face and wear it as a mask. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Am I right or am I wrong, Forrest? You're correct. Okay, good. (laughs) Connor, what's your uh, pick? Uh, Mine is Justice League Dark, number eight, the cover A. It's just the regular cover, but it's really awesome. It is this uh, striking gold like melting gold on a black background that ends up forming dr fate's helmet uh but it is made up of the of a, of a chunk of the um just League dark team kind of melting underneath dr fate and it, it works with what's going on in the in the story and i think it's just a it's a very striking cover for a series that has been surprisingly creepy throughout like they've really maintained this the the horror theme of the justice league dark like moniker um, and this cover like sticks with that, and it's 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 very like I said, it's very striking, and and there's a lot of pain expressed and a lot of anguish, and it it makes me even more excited for this issue. So it's a cool cover, very cool. In our next segment, there's going to be a lot of pain and anguish. It's called Trash It or Treasure It. This is the last segment of the show today. This is where we spin a bottle, not a bottle. We spin a <laughs> wheel. We spin a digital wheel, and we and a, and a random character comes up, and one of us has to defend it or diss it based on a flip of a coin. And today, I have to diss or defend whatever character that Connor uh, spins. Okay, so I'm so nervous. This, this is going to be from uh, the Marvel universe. <gasps> I like so many of those characters. Next time, we should do like Valiant or something like that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Like, make it real obscure. Anyway. Uh, you, you were going to have to trash or treasure, trash or treasure, Thanos. Oh, no. And okay. And we're going to have you treasure him. Man, I wanted, oh. I wanted to diss him. Uh, okay, so Thanos, obviously he's super popular these days because he just had a movie and he's going to have another movie coming where he won. He beat all the Avengers. The reason why he's a good character in the comics, I'm not talking movies because in the movies he's kind of lame. Um is because he loves death, a god of death, and he does whatever he can to make her happy, uh, and yet he will never make her happy because you can't kill enough people to make her happy. She wants everyone dead. And yet, if he kills everyone, then what's he going to do? He's got nothing else. I mean, right? He can't get her chocolates. It's not going to work. And now that we have Valentine's Day coming up, he's the perfect character for those who love love. 
because he loves death so undyingly, and yet she does not reciprocate. And that's what true love is, folks. That's what true. That's why cats. When you have a relationship with a cat, they don't love you. No, they don't. You love them. Like a dog? No, that's not a real relationship. Going back to meet the fuckers or meet the parents, right? Remember what he says? You have to earn the tr- You have to earn the love of a cat. But a dog, they're just like you know, pathetic. They just give you love. They give everyone love. If you have a piece of steak, they love you. Not a cat. And so, the relationship between Thanos and Death is like a person and a cat. Thanos is clearly the person, and the, you know, Death's the cat. And it's similarly, Death likes to kill, so do cats. So, long story short, Thanos is a fantastic character because he loves cats. Thank you very much. All right. I can t- I can see why you like Thanos because in the middle there you did say dogs are pathetic. <laughs> I'm actually more of a dog person to be honest, but I like un- I like unconditional love. <laughs> this is the end of the show. I uh, just want to thank you so much for listening if you've made it this far. I also want to give a shout out to Chris Copeland who is now our official comic book editor. He'll be curating comic book features. He's got a couple already on the website. He's going to be curating stories for us and uh, working with a, a select team of our, of our writers to produce more thought-provoking and interesting sort of comic book-focused stories. I'm really excited to see him uh, do some great work in the next year. That said, if you like the show, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. See ya. Bye, you. Yeah.